Well, hello and welcome to Scarlet Fever, the Daily Nebraskans podcast. I'm your host, Grant Hansen. I'm joined by the DN's senior sports editor, Landon Word. We'll keep the intro somewhat informal this week, but we will, just so you know, talk the beginning of the season for Nebraska volleyball, the fast start for Nebraska women's soccer with the DN's beat reporter uh, on that beat, Austin Nippelmeyer, and of course, everything Nebraska football from the last week, and an in-depth breakdown of the Illinois game that is upcoming this week. But first, it's time to get you know, to know your hosts a bit better. You can follow Landon on Twitter at Landon Wirt, W-I-R-T. You can follow me at Hanson15 underscore Hanson. Uh, Hanson spelled with an E-N, F-Y-I. Don't forget to follow the Daily Nebraskan on Twitter at Daily N-E-B for all your campus news from the students who live it every day. And uh, Scarlet Fever's back, Landon. Revived. Yes. We pulled it out this, of the mothballs. This, this is, I'm so, I'm so ecstatic right now. This means actually the world to me, uh, bringing this back. I was on Scarlet Fever two years ago when we ran it consistently with two coworkers of mine who I'm lucky enough to call good friends, Matt Hardesty and Austin Orman. Um, really excited to drop this link to them and be like, hey, surprise, this is what I brought back. This is what I brought back. This is what I came back to do. Uh, but this is great. It really is incredible to be here, and I'm so looking forward to getting back into recording Scarlet Fever and, you know, getting the new year started. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about who we are first. Just some general introductions before we get into the Husker Sports, and we've got plenty of that coming up for you throughout this podcast. But uh, first off, I'm new to the DN. Uh, I'm, I'm a beat rep- a reporter with Thomas Cotto on Nebraska Volleyball. I uh, got some podcasting experience uh, previously. Um, a sophomore here at UNL. And uh, Landon Landon is a bit of uh, more of an old bird than I am. Uh, he is now the senior editor for the Daily Nebraskan, following in the footsteps of Drake Keeler and so many others. Uh, but you can tell a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, uh, this is, I'm kind of technically a senior. This is my fourth year at the university. I'm going to be graduating college next fall, so I'm taking four and a half years. Um, yeah, I am from Overland Park, Kansas, which is a small suburb, 20 or so minutes outside of Kansas City, Missouri. Same distance from Kansas City, Kansas. People forget there's two different cities. Uh <laughs> But I have covered a variety of things since I've been here at the DN. I started with women's soccer, uh, eventually had the opportunity to cover men's basketball after some time, uh, did tennis. Uh, and then, yeah, once I became an assistant sports editor last year, I had the, opp- the amazing opportunity to cover football. Uh, that was awesome. Got to do so many cool things, traveled to Purdue. Men's basketball, I've been fortunate enough to travel to Indianapolis for the past two Big Ten men's basketball tournaments, including the night the uh, world shut down in March, the night that... Fred Hoiberg got sick, and the NBA shut down, and college sports got canceled, and we all got sent home because of a pandemic. I uh, would say that's far and away the most memorable experience of my journalistic career to date. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. Uh, don't really think that there's too much else to say. Massive Kansas City sports fan, Chiefs, Royals, big soccer guy as well, love sporting KC. I'm a suffering fan of Arsenal over the over in the England Premier League. Uh, my dad went to Oklahoma State. Uh, as a result, I'm a massive Cowboys fan. Uh, you know, don't know why, but I live and die, sadly, on those Saturdays when I'm not watching Nebraska football, I'll be on my couch watching Oklahoma State. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all there is to know about me. And, yeah, can't stress this enough how excited I am to get Scarlet Fever back up. Yeah, and then while you were talking, I was even thinking of some of the things that I forgot and <laughs> left out. Uh, but I'm a local guy. You know, I've always – I grew up in uh, Omaha – uh, went to Fort Calhoun for my high school, a really small school about Class C. No clue where that Yeah, Class C. Those of you know, that's um, about the third biggest class in Nebraska. But even yeah. then, my graduating class was 50 people. Um, so, 
you know, it just always kind of, you know, I grew up in a big city, quote unquote, in Omaha, but went to high school in a small town environment. Um, but I've always lived here. My family's always lived here. Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of Nebraska history, uh, at least for me here. And speaking of history, you alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, but talk a little bit about the, the somewhat of the background and the history of this podcast just shortly here before we talk a little bit more about what we want to accomplish. Yeah, uh, Scarlet Fever has been running, I don't know how long before me, but every year since I've been at the DN, which forgot to mention, I've been here since January of 2019. So I've been here for quite a bit. Uh, it's been running very, a very, very long time. Uh, we basically focus on Husker sports from a student perspective, but one of what I think the most unique things about what Scarlet Fever does is we make sure to show love to all of the sports that are going on currently in Nebraska. You know, football, basketball, volleyball, baseball, like those are the big four. Those are the important ones. Uh, but, you know, there's so much else that goes on on campus and so many student athletes that deserve to be celebrated. And one of the main things that I think is really cool about Scarlet Fever is we really, you know, provide opportunities for discussion and let some of the other maybe not as talked about teams shine. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm excited to do here uh, is to get to highlight, you know, some of the work of the beat reporters and writers within the Daily Nebraskan uh, who are producing a lot of great content. Um, and, you know, we're going to be able to really put that, I think, uh, front and center with some of our guests that we have on, including, you know, today, Austin Nippelmeyer. We'll talk some women's soccer a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, but, you know, just generally, you know, we're going to break down a couple of one of your pieces. We're going to talk a little bit about one of the other sports editor, Martin Herz's pieces on the Nebraska uh, football offense and the analytical side of things. And so that's something I'm excited to do uh, as we go throughout the year. So hopefully, again, roughly we're shooting for each week, give you about an hour, maybe a bit more, hopefully not much less. Um, <laughs> and we're just going to give you the news. What, what are we seeing? Uh, what, what are some of the storylines across Nebraska athletics each week? Um, we'll be here with you each week, and we'll have a variety of different guests. Uh, sometimes we could have a DN writer uh, or an editor. Of course, you have the other executive editor, editors for the sports staff and assistant editors, Martin Hers, uh, who we've already mentioned once, and uh, Jason Hahn. We might have them on from time to time, uh, and a couple of, you know, potentially DN alums. So we've got uh, a number of voices that could be heard on here besides ourselves, um, and we hope to bring you a lot of different looks at Nebraska athletics. And so without further ado, now that you know us a little bit better, let's hop right in. Volleyball, it's yeah. it's about time. We have three games upcoming this week, Colgate on Friday night and Kansas State on Saturday being the big two. We also have an 11 o'clock, uh, which I believe is against Tulsa. I yes. should double check that. I'm yeah. pretty sure it's Tulsa. It's Tulsa. Uh, so getting off with a bang, uh, Huskers hosting several teams in Lincoln this weekend. Uh, it, it should be a big weekend for Husker Volleyball, especially with no Nicklin Hames yeah. uh, in all likelihood for this week at the very least. Yeah, that's that's difficult. But one of the things I think that is just so impressive when you look at the way Nebraska Volleyball has constructed its roster is you you lose a player like Nicklin Hames, who's great, fantastic, one of the best at what she does in the country. But the great thing is you have so many pieces on this roster that can help fill it. And, you know, the other the other thing is, too, I mean, these three games are going to be tune-up E. I mean, Nebraska as, the, as a whole shouldn't have too much difficulty, I anticipate, with the three opponents it has on its schedule this weekend. Uh, so while that is a loss, it can be a great opportunity to get some other players stepping in gaining confidence, uh, you know, especially as the season progresses, because the Big Ten is a slog, and it takes a deep 
talented roster and players stepping up in certain matches that may not have been, you know, thought about prior that will help, um, you know, take the next level. So uh, it really is a blow. Uh, it stinks to, you know, first game back at PBA with not PBA. What am I saying? Brands all over the place. At the Devaney with a full crowd and not having her there, uh, first meaningful one anyways. But I think that they should be just fine this weekend. Yeah, it's obviously Kansas State is the big name, right? Like of all those, Tulsa, Colgate you recognize probably from March Madness more <laughs> so than uh, collegiate volleyball. Uh, so those are the two games on Friday. You, know, you would expect good showings there. Uh, Saturday is probably the biggest game of those three this weekend against Kansas State. Yeah. Um, they went 13-8 and eight in a very limited Big 12 season last fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, team that was above 500 last year, they come to Lincoln on Saturday. And, you know, it'll be very interesting, you know, to see what the fan engagement is like this weekend, uh, especially with the reinstatement of the mask mandate here in Lincoln. Um, obviously, there's no capacity restrictions yet, um, but does that scare fans away? Obviously, at the red-white scrimmage, the no. answer was no. And, you know, I, I'm thinking that trend will continue. The 11 a game, the 11 a.m. on Friday might be a little bit less attended than normal. Oh, yeah. But your 6.30 and your 4 on uh, Friday night and Saturday, respectively, those games are going to be packed, probably, right? Oh, yeah. One would think. And just a little note on Kansas State, that is far and away. I mean, the, the headlining matchup of the weekend. Projected third in the Big 12, which is usually a pretty solid volleyball conference uh, by the coaches, so behind Texas and Baylor, which are two great volleyball schools, so expect Kansas State to be squarely in the mix of things for an NCAA tournament appearance, um, and yeah, K-State will be the matchup. Uh, Tulsa was 2-8 and eight coming off of a 2-8 and eight season. Colgate was 8-2 and two in the Patriot League, uh, but yeah, it really will be um, the big test on Saturday. K-State does lose a couple of players, uh, doing a little bit of digging, found that they do lose five, but yeah, that'll be interesting to watch, so just a little bit of a note there. But as far as fan engagement, I think that Nebraska fans are just raring to go when it comes to attendance for anything. I mean, you saw once those restrictions were lifted late into the baseball season last year, I had the opportunity to go and check out a couple games just went as a fan. I mean, it was packed. It was crazy. Right. The second, you know, these restrictions have been lifted, like Nebraska fans have been itching to go out and support their teams and do what they do best, which is show up and be loud. And, you know, I wouldn't put it past him to even make that 11 a.m. on a Friday some sort of well-attended contest. So I'm really looking forward to see how that is this weekend. One of the things that you should likely see this weekend is the impact of this number one recruiting class in the nation. We will go through the names here quickly. Allie Batten. Batten Horst of Houston, Texas. She's an outside hitter. Uh, Middle, Riley Gray from Elkhorn, Nebraska. Outside, of course, Lindsey Krause. It's probably the name most people know here in the, uh, the state of Nebraska. One of the best local recruits in a long time. Uh, my case for a pretty even uh, match to her, actually, is Whitney um, Lonstein from Waverly, Nebraska. Someone who I think, honestly, is just about as good and does not get as much credit for it. Uh, not like it matters now. They're both on the same team. Uh, setter Kennedy Orr. You could see her this weekend. And then... Uh, Defensive specialist slash libero, we don't know which yet, Lexi Rodriguez, and announced on Monday, John Cook, in his press conference, I think actually it might have been last night on his radio show on the Husker Sports Network, he announced Kenzie Knuckles switching from libero, where she was last year, to defensive specialist. That, to me, implies Lexi Rodriguez will be stepping into that role, or someone different. So that's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out this weekend, and in his press conference on Monday, I thought it was interesting. Kennedy Orr, you know, he Coach Cook was asked, does Kennedy Orr come in and step in uh, at setter in replace of Nicklin Hames? 
and John Cook wasn't going to reveal that answer yet. So that's interesting to me. Is it is it because he isn't sure, or is it because it's strategy? You don't want to reveal your playbook. Yeah. Uh, you know, where where does it fall for you on that? Well, uh, it's difficult because Kennedy Orr is sort of this unknown, right? Coming off of knee surgery, didn't really get that last season of high school volleyball. So, you know, to me, that could indicate that Cook isn't sure of how much of the court she'll see, uh, but didn't want to give that away that she'll be playing or not. Um, I kind of tend to think that it is, but you also have to consider that, yes, coming off of this major knee injury, it's unclear whether or not you want to send her out there and push her just yet, or maybe you want to, you know, wait a little bit, wait until she's fully 100%. I know she did play in the red-white scrimmage, but, you know, three matches over that short period of time can be a lot on the body. So, you know, I do think it's a little bit of strategy, but I feel like if she wasn't going to see the court, he probably would have come out and right. said, I mean, this is we're not playing Wisconsin here, right? right? We're going up against Colgate and Tulsa and K-State. There's not, there's not a need to be too coy. I think that if she wasn't going to see this floor, the floor this weekend, Cook would have come out and said it. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, it's going to be very interesting. I think we'll see her th- at some point this weekend. I think we'll probably see all of these freshmen at some point this weekend, considering, um, you know, the competition. Um, you know, obviously they're going to be very focused for it, right? Yeah. They'll, they'll be coming to play. But uh, I, I think you can work a lot of these freshmen in uh, early. And, you know, I think you could see a lot of these freshmen – in big roles even later in the season, right? Um, I think Kennedy Orr and Lexi Rodriguez are the two that I'm the most interested to see. Yeah. Um, you know, in my opinion, I think, you know, Kennedy Orr, she's six foot. Uh, you, you know, you see Nicklin Hames is 5'10", so you do get a little bit more height advantage there in the front row if your setter has to do some blocking. You know, there were some questions about that last year. How, do, how, how does Coach Cook want to work around, um, you know, that? Uh so, so that'll be interesting to see. You know, I, I think in the future, once Nicklin decides to move on, uh, you know, Kennedy Orr and the Huskers will be in good hands at that position. And the setter is so key, and, and it's that's kind of why it was so scary in the scrimmage to see yeah. Nicklin go down because in volleyball, you, the setter is the quarterback of your of your offense, right? You need your setter to be probably you know one of your best leaders and very engaged and good chemistry wise. You know, with everybody else on the floor, Nicklin is that. Um, you know, she's obviously, um, I don't know, a firecracker. I don't know if that's the right word, but she, oh, she, yeah, that's she the right gets word. everybody going, right? Yeah. Like she is an energizer bunny for this team. Um, so unfortunately, the energizer bunny will be on the sidelines at least in all likelihood this weekend. But uh, that's going to be very interesting to see. Again, a couple other questions. We still don't know who's going to be right side for this team, uh, at least to my knowledge. I don't believe that has been announced yet. There is some talk that Lexi Sun could fill that role, which is shocking um, in many ways, and it speaks to how good this incoming freshman class is going to be. So that'll be very interesting to watch, and it wouldn't shock me if it's not solidified yet and we see different uh, players still in these first couple of weeks um, experiencing those roles. Yeah, based on everything I've read and seen, it appears that there's going to be some sort of rotation out there, which is good, like you were referring to earlier, getting all the freshmen and getting them acclimated, whether it's them, whether it's ex- whether it's an experienced player like you mentioned, Lexi Sun, it's going to be good to get people in different positions, making them feel maybe a little bit uncomfortable at first because going back to you never know where it could benefit you down the stretch. So I'm looking forward to see how Cook decides to deploy everyone this weekend and where he decides players will fit best. John said uh, in his press conference on Monday that you know he's looking for a team to play with an edge. And that's kind of been a common theme in most of these preseason press conferences 
uh, for the Cornhuskers has been, look, there's they they haven't outright said that last year they were disappointed, and there were some times in practices where people were taking plays off, but they've implied that a couple of times by the fact that that is so much the focus this year. Don't take plays off. we got to be engaged all the time. Uh, and so it'll be very interesting to see. Does that happen? Hopefully it does. Uh, we, it's an extensive non-conference schedule. Next week you will see Arizona State coming to town uh, as well as uh, matches against Georgia and Omaha. So that next Friday night, that Omaha and Georgia matchup, that same format next week uh, for the Huskers on Friday, 11 a.m. against Omaha, 6 o'clock against Georgia, and then Saturday at 6 against Arizona State. So that last game on Saturday is a little bit later. I think that's kind of coinciding with the home game. Uh, don't want to leave fans uh, too far hung out with that uh, Fordham game upcoming. So uh, that is the upcoming schedule for next week. Again, remember, Friday, 11 o'clock, Huskers meet Tulsa at home. At 6.30, they face off against Colgate. Those are the Friday games that will be, as we release this on Thursday slash Friday morning, uh, that will be uh, Friday afternoon. So get ready for those games. And then Kansas State on Saturday. That is the big one for the week. You can go watch Illinois and Nebraska football at noon and get it all on over to the Devaney Center for Nebraska and Kansas State at 4. All right, time for our first guest here uh, on Scarlet Fever. We'll have Austin Nibblemeyer on in just a second. We're going to talk a little bit of Nebraska women's soccer. Fast start for the Cornhuskers and a big week of non-conference games ahead. So we'll break that all down with him coming up next. All right, welcome back to Scarlet Fever. Grant Hansen, Landon Wirt, and we're joined by our first guest, Austin Nippelmeyer, the DN beat reporter for women's soccer. So thanks for joining us, Austin. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's talk about this uh, this team. We're two games in. Yep. Uh, by the time this episode will be released, which again, Friday morning, uh, it will be three games of the regular season in. Huskers are 2-0, 4-0, counting uh, exhibition games. And it's a big week ahead. Of course, the Baylor game is the game that uh, we can't really fully lean into and talk about because it hasn't happened yet. And by the time this is released, the game will be over. So um, that's coming up this week. Uh, Oklahoma on Sunday. And then next week, the Huskers return home for games against UNO and Loyola Chicago. So, Austin, why don't you just lead us in, You know, talk a little bit about the start for this team. Two games in. Of course, you covered the exhibitions, I believe, as well. Yep. What have you noticed? What's been different? Well, what jumps off the page for me right away is obviously on the offensive side. You know, in the attack last year, I mean, it just it just wasn't a good year. I mean, bottom of the league in the Big Ten in almost every offensive category, whether it's, you know, goal per game, whether it's just total goals, whatever that may be, they just they were flat. They were never a great offensive team last year. But, you know, I think with this influx, again, it, Coach Walker, Coach John Walker, head coach, he kept talking about the influx of, you know, young attacking these freshmen coming in, some of these sophomores uh, that are really coming into their own, they have really been impressive. Obviously, you know, the speed is a big part of that because a lot of what they use is a long ball tactic. They really are looking to break the defense back line by getting those balls in behind. So that's a big part of their offense. Obviously, they're working on, you know, the one-on-one -on -one stuff with defenders too, and that's coming along well. But I think it was big to have some games against opponents that may not be the toughest on the schedule to just build that cohesion, really, and just kind of start getting to see kind of what we might 
be able to see from this team this year because we did see a lot of goals in those first two games, obviously 3-0 and then uh, 5-0 uh, in the first two against Western Illinois and then obviously against uh, Mizzou. Yeah, and you know, to me, one of the most interesting things just about this team as a whole, and you mentioned this in uh, your women's soccer preview, which is out today on the DN website. Go read it; it's very well done. Thank you. One of the most interesting things about the way this roster is constructed is the fact that the forwards are young, and there's a lot of experience everywhere yeah. else. You've got players yeah. like Teresa Bujado, Dakota Chan players that have been here for a very long time. And the same way in defense, too. You've got a couple of defenders that have been on the line seemingly forever. So, you know, just talk about the way this roster is constructed and if you think that, you know, this balance of experience in some of the more critical positions, like in the center of the field and midfield and on the back line, um, if you think that that sort of combination could be successful come conference play. Yeah, no, I mean, you're spot on. That's really the makeup of this team. It's, you know, the veteran leadership in the midfield and obviously sitting back in defense. And then, you know, the young, exciting, pacey, you know, you know these, these, uh, these young freshmen and sophomores that you're like, wow, you know, you see the speed when you watch them on the pitch. You see what they can do. And, yeah, I mean, that's really Teresa Pujato, who you mentioned, you know, a great defensive midfielder in that middle of the park area, huge, very important position for the Huskers, and she does it very well. She really talked about it. She said, you know, it's really that sense of, like, you have that calm, you know, in the back, in the defense. You have that calm where you're not going to get, you know, bent out of shape in the middle of a game where something goes wrong. But then you have up front that exciting, you know, the fresh uh, freshness of the young players, really. So, no, I think it's a balance that could be really, really exciting to watch. And it will come down to how these young players become acclimated and settle in when it start getting into the parts of the schedule that we're going to be getting into where you're playing these big games, you know, lots of pressure under the lights, you know, how are they going to react? Is, you know, that veteran middle of the park and in the back going to be able to kind of keep them calm, keep them, you know, ready? Or, you know, are they going to break down and make mistakes? And that's really the big thing I'm going to be watching because I think they have all the talent in attack. It's just because it's so young, that's going to be kind of what you have to watch. Yeah, most definitely. And really quick, one of the things that has just been interesting to me uh, to monitor is the play of the defense. You mentioned, you know, the defensive midfielders' roles in that, but it really comes down to back the back line and goalkeeping. I didn't know this until just a few minutes ago, but going through my notes a little bit in preparing for this, 2003, it has been 18 years since the Nebraska soccer team has recorded two shutouts to start the season, which is really just a remarkable statistic. Yeah. And it really speaks to... I just think, uh, and you know, in addition to the great goalkeeping play, Sammy Hawk is you know Big Ten goalkeeper of the week, which yep. is an impressive feat in and of itself. But it really just speaks to how lo- dialed in their back line has been because it is so easy as a you know as a former soccer player myself, Absolutely. it is so easy to switch off when you go up five nothing with tw- like 25, 30 minutes left to go in the game. You get lackadaisical. There are things that you know you might just be like, oh, I, I don't need to run as hard to get to this ball. Being switched on like that for that amount of time when you're leading by that many goals I think that really just speaks volume to how like disciplined I guess is what I would say disciplined this team is I was just curious what's your thoughts on that back line and goalkeeping yeah absolutely uh and you know this is again something that coach Walker talked on a ton when I got the chance to um get on the phone with him for doing the preseason stuff and he said you know one of the biggest things we had preseason was obviously the main thing was getting the younger attacking players back into it and kind of acclimated to how they do things but the other big thing was Working on individual, you know, one-on-one defending, not letting uh, offensive players beat you off the dribble, do things like that, really anticipating things, and just, you know, all of that where, you know, the calmness comes into effect. 
and just being able to hold your own and stuff like that and not let you know whether it's a goal or you know maybe you mess up and you get it let a person get past you they don't let those things bother them you know a young player might be like oh, crap you know I'm kind of letting letting the team down but no you know obviously you have a ton of senior junior you know veteran leadership in that defense that really they've just been hounding on you know every little piece of defending because you know you can be as talented as you can but it's it's all about mentally up here too yeah uh, so that's a big thing that walker really pushed on wins thus far this year for nebraska coming at home against western illinois by a score of three to nothing and missouri most recently by a score of five to nothing and it is a first that missouri game is the first of a three-game road stretch for the Cornhuskers, Baylor, will be played again on Thursday. Uh, we'll give you a little bit of a look at that. Uh, you can look back, uh, for those of you listening on Friday or later. Baylor, uh, coming into Thursday's game, again, recording this on Wednesday, 1-1, one 2-2, and one, two and two counting exhibition. Their regular season loss is future Big Ten opponent for Nebraska and Minnesota, one to nothing. But here, Austin, talk a little bit about Oklahoma. That is the more yeah. uh, pressing um, opponent upcoming for Nebraska on right. Sunday. They are 1-1 one and one on the year, 1-2, and two, counting their exhibition games. And their losses uh, this year came on a 3-1 loss to Houston, and then they defeated Lamar last Sunday for their first win on the year. Talk a bit about the Huskers matchup against Oklahoma. Yeah, no, I and look, um, I think that any time you play a Big Ten opponent, you're going to have that added sense of like, okay, this is real here. You know, especially for those freshmen who haven't had a Big Ten game yet under their belt, you know, just a couple of out outer conference games. And this is where, you know, we're going to see that pressure get put on the shoulders of those young attackers. And really what I'm looking for, again, I know I've touched on this, but I think that's going to be the biggest thing throughout is just watching those young attackers up front where it's kind of left to them in the game, you know, as a, as a coach. Like if you're Coach Walker, you can hound on things, you can get the tactics down pat, but really it comes down to those young players stepping on the pitch and then executing. So that's the biggest thing. You know, it's always going to be an interesting matchup uh, when it's a Big Ten opponent because those are the biggest games. You you, you want to be able to grab as many of those as you want throughout the season to be able to put yourself in the best position coming around the uh, latter part of the schedule. So I think it'll be really interesting. I think, you know, the Huskers have a lot of confidence, obviously coming off some pretty convincing wins, but I think they also know that, you know, the level of competition is going to rise only, you know, it's only going to go up from here. Uh, so I think that they're starting to build some of that confidence because, again, going back to, I got to talk to Pujato, and she really talked about the biggest thing that she's noticed already in, is in a difference in this team is the chemistry, the cohesion. It feels like they're all gelling together. They're all really in a place where, uh, they're teammates, but they're also, you know, sisters in a way where they're bonding really close and they're really, you know, they are ready to come to practice each day and put in the work. She said that's the biggest thing she's noticed. So I think we're just going to have to really what I'm looking for is going into that Oklahoma game. I want to see that cohesion. I want to see, you know, a solid attack. I want to see calmness in defense. I don't want to see where if something goes wrong, they start to break down. So that's the biggest thing for me that I'm kind of looking at. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, you know, there is the, you know, Missouri and Western Illinois are one thing, uh, but when you start getting into these, you know, matchups against, you know, it's the Big 12 foes first, Oklahoma and Baylor. Yeah. Uh, but once you start getting into that, those matches feel like, you know, they're going to be, it's a very good test, I guess is what, you know, I'm getting at. Very good test, very good preparation. Yeah. Uh, just a little note, uh, Oklahoma is coming off of a really, really poor season last year. Uh, yeah. 1-12-2. 
in the Big 12, or one twelve and 2 overall, one five and one in the Big 12, finished yeah. last in the conference. Uh, they have a very young coach, not young, I guess. I don't know whether or not Mark Carr is a young dude, but he is in his second year at Oklahoma. Uh, so it could take some time to get the Sooners up and running, sure. one would think. Uh, it will be a great challenge to go on the road in a hostile Big 12 environment to face a school like Oklahoma. Um, but I do think that Nebraska should yeah. emerge victorious there, should, uh, if the run of form continues. Um, you know, won't comment on Baylor because that's a different animal. But yeah. uh, another thing of note, too, Oklahoma is com- will be coming off of what should be a very highly physical and competitive game against my Oklahoma State cowgirls, I guess. Uh, oh, they do play Oklahoma State on Thursday night, which I do think is worth noting because those For matches sure. are always physical, always competitive. Uh, so that, I think, would be even more of an added bonus for Nebraska, uh, getting an Oklahoma side that's going to, going to be coming off of an emotional game with a rival. Absolutely. No, I, I, I'm, I'm right with you. And th- those inter-school games are always, you know, I mean, interstate games are always, you know, you kind of want the bragging rights of it. And you're you're going you're <laughs> right. gonna to be, yeah, like you said, getting physical and really going in and tackles and stuff of that nature. So I think that's a very good point. Well, Nebraska has uh, one of its own coming up next week against Omaha on Thursday. You can... Uh, look at that game uh, in person, at least for now, at uh, Hibner Stadium. They will also play Loyola Chicago next Sunday. So Husker fans, those are the games you can attend, uh, unless you want to make the trip down to Waco or Norman uh, this week to either face Baylor or Oklahoma. So Austin, I don't know. I was trying to look around and see if I could find your Twitter so people could follow you. If you have oh, one yeah, that you absolutely. actually use for DN stuff and publishing that. Yeah. Um, really quick, I do want to make a note while Austin's finding his Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Loyola-Chicago is a really interesting matchup uh, that I kind of just wanted to harp on a bit on Sunday, September 5th. Uh, That is a school that, um, you know, based on some you know, notable college women's soccer accounts that I interact with and follow. That's a school that's projected to make the NCAA tournament field mm. out of the Missouri Valley. So that, uh, you Indicator know. Indicator Yeah. Uh, you know, Baylor and Oklahoma are supposed to be kind of these middling of sorts Big 12 teams. Might finish, like, you know, anywhere from 5th through 8th in the conference. Uh, UNO is UNO. Not really sure um, how much of a commodity they are. But that will be a really big test to face a school like Loyola Chicago that will be right in the thick of things and then you follow that up with a game against Arizona State which is another school that is projected to be right in the thick of things when it comes to the NCAA tournament so two back-to-back games against potential NCAA tournament schools on the fifth and the ninth will be a great indicator for where the program is yeah and I I do want to throw in just because this is an interesting tidbit I know we weren't going to go into the Baylor game but I I will say I had talked to some players and they said that that Baylor game is really important they have a list of teams that they haven't beat Mm. yet ever in their history in the locker room and Baylor's right on there so I think that that one will be really interesting to look at just to see you know the energy that they come out with because it seems like they really you know take something like that personally and they're really using it for for uh, some bullet bullet uh, board material for sure yeah well big week ahead and it is going to be an exciting one for Nebraska women's soccer first guest in uh, Scarlet Fever 2.0 history 3.0 history Uh, yeah Either way, Austin Nippelmeyer, everyone, and now it's time to uh, dig in to, uh, yeah, this, which Uh. will be interesting. Husker football (laughs) coming up on the other side. (laughs) All right, that was Austin Nippelmeyer. It's time to dig in. So... Obviously, Landon, you cover as the uh, executive sports editor. Uh, you do cover Husker football along with 
Martin Hers, uh, Jason steps in there sometimes to do some press conference stuff. And then uh, I'm trying to remember who the other two beat writers are on the staff for football right now. You probably know better than me. Yeah, we've got Justin Slepichka, oh, which is, I learned that's how to pronounce his last name. He's been with us for a year and a half. I never knew. I always thought uh, it so was it's uh, us. Yeah, I did as well. <laughs> so it's Justin, myself, Martin, and Jason. Uh, our lovely co- our pieces and columns are what you can expect to read on Saturdays in the fall. Yes. So find them at thedailynebraskan.com, yes. if I remember correctly. And uh, yeah, so obviously you were you've been dug in the last week, and I really don't. I honestly like just for my mental, um, you know, sanity, uh, which may be redundant, but uh, <laughs> I really do not want to talk very much about this off season if humanly possible. But I do have this question for you: Do you think it's the weirdest off season ever? I mean, certainly since I've been here, I can't remember just an off season with so much pent-up anxiety and mm. it seems like we're kind yes. of at uh <laughs> at some sort of a, a a boiling point which will probably be reached at about noon on saturday uh just so much has happened with player i mean you digging back to even stuff like luke mccaffrey transferring feels like forever ago but that was like in april like right. that is that is the off season it has been a long time with a lot of crazy things happening you dig back to wandale robinson leaving mm-hmm. you know it, it's just been such a long, weird, like so many twists and turns off season, and it just the the news cycle just never stops, does it? Right. Because you think we're out of the water, and then boom, NCAA investigates it. So it's just been just ridiculous. I can't even. It's just been insane. So you've no mentioned that uh, in investigation from last week, and honestly, you know, you talk about how fast the news cycles move. It is not even in the news this week at all. No, um, which is in some ways kind of shocking, but, you know, I kind of think this might be a hot take. I kind of think it's a nothing burger. What do you think on it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, digging into it, we'll see how everything plays out. It does seem like it's a lot of sincere big words and big Mm -hmm. things for something that, you know, at the end of the day, the NCAA going to NCAA, is this really like what we should be expending time and energy on? Probably not, but, you know, who am I to judge? It's going to be interesting to see how the facts lay out over this. Uh, I think that on the whole, we don't know very much right now. There's a lot of archive video that the NCAA has seen, but that's it's just been left at that. Only the NCAA has really seen it. So I think that there's been a lot of speculation and a lot of people talking about things that they aren't really sure of, which is why I've been hesitant to give my full thoughts on the matter, because at the end of the day, we aren't really sure what took place and what didn't. Yep. Um, but yeah, until more comes out, I just think that a lot of it is just speculation and, you know, half-truths and coulda, woulda, shouldas, and maybes right now. Um, the NCA says they've seen things, Nebraska's cooperating fully, and until we, we know more, I think it's kind of best to leave it at that, almost. Right. Yeah, and, you know, I just, especially with, and again, like, this didn't get near the cred, and it's not like it's like some sort of conspiracy theory Michigan is under investigation for the exact same thing yeah right like in the two biggest bombshells in my opinion in that article from last week were the fact that the Oklahoma thing was brought up again yeah um which was interesting especially considering coach Frost's reaction to that it seems to me someone's lying on that front like it's either the source is lying or he is because and, and I'm inclined to believe Frost on the Oklahoma thing just because he just seemed, you know, people talked about how irate he was in that press conference or how he didn't feel like he wanted to be there. You know, some of the things that people were 
analyzing about how his, his body language or whatever. I, I just think he was tired of having to talk about the Oklahoma game again. Like, you know, I, I think he just felt like he had put this thing down so many times or put it to rest so many times. Um, so, that like, I, I think that's just where that came from. Um, but the only thing where, like, Nebraska is currently under investigation for is the special teams issue, the special teams coordinator, which, again, Detroit Free Press runs the story two days later on Friday that Michigan's under investigation for the same thing, um, which, again, just didn't get as much cred because who knows, honestly. Um, I think Nebraska is an easier target in, in many ways, in some ways because Nebraska has made itself an easier target. Um, but, yeah, and that was a week ago somehow. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, you know, I do agree with you. Some of it is Nebraska's own doing. I mean, get, having that Oklahoma thing come out, true or not, is, like, really right. not a good look. And just the way that was walked back, like, wasn't the best. I mean, I even forgot about Bill Moose retiring. Holy, right. this has been, this this offseason's gone on for too long. But the way that was walked back and ultimately handled, it's just been like, it's not the best look. It's not a super great indictment on Nebraska, you know, true or not, like I said. And I do think to a certain extent, like, you can tell that Frost is sick and tired of, of talking about everything that's not football related. Yes. I mean, even thinking back on it, you know, my first initial reactions to, you know, the shortness of the press conference, like, okay, that's probably not like the best look, but even just like sitting here and hashing through everything that has happened this off season, I'd be sick of it too. I mean, there have just been so many like drama filled situations and you know, whether it's the transfers of Robinson and McCaffrey or the thing that happened on the, big red bus tour when a comment that frost made about luke mccaffrey went viral and we had christian talking about it and then we have a moose retiring and then we have the hiring of trev alberts and all this stuff i just think you know he's kind of sick of it and i think that he has a right to be with all the extra fluff uh and just start playing football yeah well and you got into that a little bit here but as we move towards you know even what's happened this week monday of course the Monday game week Scott Frost press conference. If I remember, is there one Friday too? Usually, I'm trying to remember. Uh, yes, Monday, he, he'll speak on Thursday. Okay. It's it's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday this week. Yeah. So uh, Monday's press conference, I believe, if I remember correctly, from who I saw putting their phone uh, at Scott's podium uh, during the video of it. I think Jason was at that press conference. Yes. Um. So, yeah, you touched on it a little bit, but. You know, my initial reaction is pretty similar to yours. Like, I think in some ways, Frost is kind of calling a shot for um, for Saturday in that we're just going to talk about football. Like, it was very obvious. Like, every answer came back to, we're focused on Saturday. We're focused on Saturday. We're focused on Saturday. We're focused on Saturday, which is good. I Like, to me, like, I'm, I'm okay with that, right? Yeah. Um, but then you have to win Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> because if they don't win on Saturday – and all this talk during the press conference was focusing on Saturday, that could blow back hard. It can. And, you know, going back to Nebraska sometimes makes it easy for them to have a target on their back. On Saturday, if there is an egg laid on national television in a game that a majority of the country will be tuning into because it's one of the only only compelling matchups next weekend besides, you know, maybe UCLA and Hawaii – if you go out and lay an egg on Saturday, 
you know, the, the, the rumors start flying. I mean, even going into this season, on top of all the craziness that's happened in the offseason, I mean, everyone around here is no dummy. I mean, go to any college football website, your CBS Sportses, your Foxes, your Yahoo Sportses, those articles, 10 coaches on the hot seat entering the coming year. Mm-hmm. Scott Frost is on almost every single one of these lists. Right. Uh, you know, fair or unfair, this is a really make-or-break year, and this week is leading up to, as I referred to, a melting point, like it or not. If things go south quickly on Saturday, expect conversation to swirl Yeah, rapidly. I mean, I, I, I legitimately do not look forward to coming to campus on a Monday in which we've lost on Saturday, or yeah. we, sorry, the Huskers have lost on Saturday. You know, like, it, it's, it would create an environment, I don't know exactly how it would play with the students, but I can tell you the fan and media firestorm on Monday would be, I mean, it, it, it from everywhere, bad. local, national, yes. it, it would, it wouldn't be great uh, because yeah, that's because the best game besides Nebraska, Illinois, this upcoming Saturday is UCLA Hawaii, which could be really interesting. Not going to lie. Fun. Lots <laughs> but, of points, but yeah, mm, you know. But that's the game. Like, you're telling me you're not interested in watching UConn's first game in 10 years? Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know. They, they, uh, there's, like, a certain level of, like, sideshow, uh, circus sideshow, like, look there <laughs> with that UConn game. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's the, – the blowback could be really bad on Monday. And it's just because I think it, everybody is just so tired of talking, again, like we mentioned at the beginning – about things that aren't football, that aren't football games. And that's just kind of been the whole offseason in so many ways. It's just been continuous. Every couple of weeks there's something. And there's been positive in there. Don't get me wrong. Like the nil name, image, and likeness talk in July, overwhelmingly positive, right? Um, For the most part, when Trev Alberts got hired, that was a positive offseason development. Yes. Right? So there's been positive in there, but it's been nonstop, Right. And so to finally be able to get to talk about a football game um, and, you know, hopefully a victory uh, for, for that football team and for the players, you know, it's, it's a big deal. So let's, let's do that. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's lay in. Uh, the DN this week has released, uh, I don't know, it should be by the time we release this podcast, the special teams preview, I think. It's already out. out. It all is three, out. All three are out. So offense, Martin Hurs. Defense, Landon Wirt, who is sitting across from me right now. Uh, and then special teams is... Justin. Justin, okay. So uh, Justin Slipichka, uh wrote that piece. So all three are up on the DN website. Uh, you can go find those and read those. Let's start with the offense with Martin's piece. You know, one of the things I was very interested in, Martin dug deeply into the analytics. And I, and I, want, I don't want to spend too much time on really any of these because I, I want you to read them and not read them to you. Um, but one of the things that was interesting that Martin was talking about is how much Nebraska has ran the football here. Um, and that, that, that part has been really interesting to me because prior to Scott coming here, you know, the, the thought about UCLA and really especially with Oregon was throwing the football. Yeah. And so far here, it's been a lot of running the football and QB draws. And it's not necessarily a bad thing if it leads to points. But the red zone has been the biggest issue for this team over the last few years. They generate a lot of yards. 
not necessarily a lot of points. But talk a little bit about that little piece or something you found from Martin's piece on the offense that was pertinent to this week. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I um, found interesting just personally was the use of tight ends because Nebraska's mm-hmm. tight end room has been particularly strong under Frost, I would like to say, in the last couple of years. While the numbers aren't gaudy every time they've seemed to be called upon in the past, they make plays. Um, so I just found that interesting that, you know, tight end usage wasn't as important as I originally thought, especially in the college game. But I guess it makes some sense. Um, the other thing I, I found interesting was just how vital quality wide receiver play is. Yes. Martin hit on it. You know, talking about make or break positions on this team, the wide receiving core is in line for a huge test this season. Mm-hmm. Um it was a group that was largely dependent on one guy, and that one guy is no longer with the program. Right. And there are plenty of options to replace him. It'll be very interesting to see, and one of the things I'm most looking forward to seeing on Saturday is who's the number, who's going to be the alpha in that room. So many options. You have Omar Manning, who comes in as this heralded junior college recruit, doesn't really get to see the field much of last year because of injury. You right, have Samari, one target. Yes. You have Samari Torre, who was a fantastic receiver mm-hmm. at Montana. Yep. Will his game be able to translate? He's been here for long enough, been here since January. And then you have guys like Oliver Martin, who I you know find is someone that kind of might be flying a bit under the radar as we get into all this offseason talk. Iowa transfer, was really impressed with him when uh, he spoke to the media last spring. Really thought he had a lot of good things to say. One of the quicker receivers on the team, and I suspect that there's a good chance we see a good bit of him on Saturday, which I'm looking forward to. Um, So that room is just so interesting to me. And then you've got younger guys. Xavier Betts, Alante Mm -hmm. Brown. Uh, They were great last year when they're called upon. So whether it's kind of like a committee situation or someone emerges, the wide receiving room is in for a massive test this season. And that's something I'm looking most forward to and something I find interesting about Martin's piece. You know, and one thing that I thought that was very defining about Adrian's freshman year, uh, which has been talked about to no end, uh, Stanley Morgan. Yeah. And J.D. Spielman. Yes. And both of those guys by his sophomore year were gone. And obviously they weren't there last year either, right? So at that point, he only had Wandale Robinson, who is not going to be a very deep threat. Of course, he can make some moves in space, but he's going to spend the majority of his time either at running back or in the slot. So now that he has potentially, um, depending on what we see from Omar or Xavier Betts, a return of a serious deep threat um, with a guy who could spend some time in the slot in Samari Toure, uh, who is also a big uh, receiver, Does that change his quarterback play? Do we see more from him? I mean, you have hit the nail right on the head because I've been thinking a lot about how the offense will look, and you nailed it. I mean, having a guy like Stanley Morgan was so beneficial for a young quarterback because that's a guy that you you can basically just say, go deep, you're bigger than most corners, I'll put the ball up high and go make a play. And J.D. is so talented because he just operated so well in the spot. You can get the slot, you can get the ball to him in space. There was the Mm -hmm. other S word I was struggling with. Uh, And he can make moves and get open. So when you were just reduced to one of those guys in Wandale Robinson, who was a fantastic player at Nebraska, Mr. Do-It-All, really, in the backfield and in the air. But he's not Stanley Morgan. He never will be a receiver like Stanley Morgan. Now, Nebraska has two guys 
may, probably more that can be Stanley Morgan and that deep threat. And it was so refreshing for me in the spring game, which is something I hope we see a lot more of this year, is Adrian just getting, you know, cutting loose a little bit, getting down the field. I think it's pretty apparent that he has a lot of trust with this receiving core, and it's evident when he's making these 40-yard throws down the field to guys like Samari Torre. And, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of that. You wrote a quick piece on the defense. Uh, talk a little bit about what, what was the most defining part of that piece to you. I mean, Nebraska's defense is one word. It's experience. Mm-hmm. The guys, I mean, everybody is back. This should be a unit. A unit. One of the things I hit on is that Nebraska's had good defenses uh, under Frost, and Frost has you know been in charge of good defenses when he was the head coach at UCF. But he hasn't been in charge of a great defense yet. Uh, his UCF defenses were good situationally. They had a couple of NFL guys, the Griffin brothers, that helped out and made plays when things were needed. And, you know, Nebraska's defenses that have been under him have been middle of the pack, I would say. Um, but steadily improving each year. Uh, I noted, you know, team defense national rankings on a college football reference. Uh, each year they've uh, improved ever so slightly. I think it was big improvement, and then they kind of stayed about at the same plane from year two to year three. So if Nebraska can make a move here into the top, let's say 50, uh, maybe higher than that. If Nebraska can be a top 40 to 50 defense in the country, uh, things will things will go very well for them, I anticipate, and you can get to that threshold. The thing that I look forward to the most, and just a unit that I love on this team is the secondary, man. They've got players there. You know, mm-hmm. it's been hard on ad nauseum, but Markel Dismuke and Deontay Williams rock. Like, those two, are yeah. they're just, they're so instinctual. They're such good players. Like, they're very heady, very smart. Like, always seem to be around the football. And that safety tandem, they just... They rock. Like, there's no other way to describe it. Like, I love watching good safety play. As a Chiefs fan myself, I love watching Tyron Matthew, guys that are flying around the field consistently, making plays always around the ball. Um, And I think those two dudes are like that. Uh, Both of them had big performances and were getting in the backfield at times, making sacks, strip sacks, fumbles, touchdowns, all that stuff. They can they can do that. And then you've got guys like Cam Taylor Britt at the quarterback position, uh, who's great, one of the better corners in the conference in and of itself. those guys know how to find the football. They know how to get involved and make plays. And just having an experienced secondary is such a help. And a Big Ten that doesn't have the great quarterbacks like the Justin Fields of years ago, but still has good quarterback play. Um, and quality secondary play is important. And one of the things I noted, they need to find another piece to iron out that secondary, uh, yeah. which is going to be something very interesting to look for on Saturday as well. All right, well, let's uh, get into some fun things before we have to get down to the brass tacks and make a prediction for Saturday's showdown with Illinois. We got some prop bets for the season. Yes, we do. These are provided by uh, some of the most interesting ones, selected by Landon here. So let's hop in. Uh, Total passing touchdowns for the year, the over-under, set at 24.5. Where are you going on this one? Uh, I hate to do this because... This has never been, I mean, you know, I I would just, I lean under. And the reason that I do lean under is because just how the slog of the Big Ten can be sometimes. I mean, Nebraska has been able to find itself on multiple occasions in these 13-12-9-6 affairs in a couple of instances in conference. And then on top of that, uh, you know, one of the most critical things will be getting Adrian back and confident, but 
not coming off the greatest statistical year throwing the football last year. And, you know, it was a lot more of the rushing side of things, whether yep. it was yep. getting the ball to Dedrick Mills on the goal line, Adrian runs it in himself, Luke McCaffrey running in. Um, just for, I mean, reference here, Adrian has thrown 31 touchdown passes in his career. Right. So if you get to 24, you're not only thinking, okay, to a game, but you're also thinking that some touchdown passes are going to have to come from some players maybe not named Adrian Martinez, maybe in blowouts of games like against a Fordham or something of that nature. Uh, so I don't know if we'll get quite to 24, uh, which is why I lean under, but if Martinez is able to replicate 17 touchdowns in 11 games like he did his freshman year, I think that number is well within reach. But for now, until I'm proven otherwise, I lean under. I think I'm going to agree with you there. Let's move on to sacks. This one I am hammering the under. Uh, yeah. 25 and a half. This is way too high. That seems like a lot, doesn't it? Uh I would think that the under is probably a play. I mean, going back in my notes, doing to some statistical digging of the last, like, normal year that Nebraska's had, I mean, looking at their defensive um, total sacks, let's see what our number is here. Eight, 12, I don't know. I don't even think we get to 25 here. Yeah. That is a lot. Um, I mean, I wish I could do math quickly, but I can't. But looking at through these numbers from the last normal year, it looks like we don't quite get to 25. Um, so it would take a monster individual year from, like, a JoJo Doman mm-hmm. or somebody on the line like Ben Stilley uh, to make that number happen. Uh, when in Nebraska's last normalish year, uh, the Davis brothers combined for 12 sacks, which is huge. I right. mean, if you can have two guys that can combine for, like, 13 or 14 sacks and get you halfway there. Um, but I do think, as a whole, the defense should be better at pressuring the quarterback. So I I, I think that I might lean over on this total, especially because uh, I think that the Fordham game might inflate numbers mm. a ton, especially defensively. Um, you know, I, I would love to be proven wrong in before Nebraska loses, like, 20 to 17 <laughs> to Fordham. Yeah. But I do think that the Fordham chance has to the Fordham game has a chance to inflate some of these defensive numbers and allow guys to, for lack of a better word, tee off. So I'm actually going to <laughs> lean over, and I'm trusting the Nebraska defense, which I'm riding with, and I think will be a lot better this that year. That is legitimately surprising to me. Uh, but let's look at rushing yards by a running back specifically. So Adrian, out of the picture here. Yes. Number is 699 and a half. Are you going over or under on this line for rushing yards by a running back? And again, I'm pretty sure this is not a combined number here. So this is an individual rusher, if I'm reading this correctly. Yes, it is an individual number. I am going to say, by the way, in case you were curious, uh, that 2019 season did go over 25 and a half really? sacks. Uh, I believe they were at 27, 28. I, I lost count before I got to the 1.0s, but they were at 22 before I did that. So, and there was like six or seven of them. So, anyways, I think it. Hmm, this is one of those things, kind of like passing touchdowns. I would love to be proven wrong, but until I see with my own two eyes otherwise, I'm going to make the most sensible decision, which is to go under here. Nebraska has not yet announced a starting running back, and I think that it will probably be similar to a running back by committee situation, which has its pros and it has its cons. Um, The pros are you have a lot of players available to carry the football. The cons, obviously, you know, guys aren't in rhythm. Things can go south rather quickly if an alpha isn't established. 
Marquis Step appears to be the guy that might be in line for a lot of those carries, but he's been injured all spring. We don't know how familiar he is with the offense, things of that nature. But behind him, you've got guys like Jacques Yant, Savion Morrison, Gabe Irvin, and maybe those guys could step up. But someone getting to 700 out of that crew seems to me a stretch because there are so many talented backs in that room, and I think that there are going to be opportunities for a lot of them. So I'd love to be proven wrong, and I'd rather have, like, you know, a 700-yard guy and, like, three or four 400-yard guys as opposed to maybe just, like, a guy that, you know, goes all Mo Ibrahim on everybody and runs for, like, 1,500 yards. I think that, you know, Nebraska's running back room will trend more to the latter, but maybe someone just gets over that 699-yard mark. But for now, I'm going to lean under. Uh, For the sake of time, we will skip down to the Nebraska Big Ten West ranking. Over under here is, is I'm trying to figure editing, three and a half. So that was what third? Um, can Nebraska? It, the the question boils down to: Can Nebraska finish in the top half of the Big Ten West? Right. Right. The Big Ten West is very interesting this year, and I think it's a lot more interesting than people give it credit for. Of course, Northwestern won the division last year. Northwestern yep. is projected to regress big time, and mm-hmm. I am very here for that. You've got Wisconsin with you know a lot of pieces coming back. A quarterback from my hometown, actually, Graham Mertz, great player. Uh, looked shaky a bit at times last year, but you know all accounts expect him to be more confident as we move forward. And then you've got Iowa, who, again, returns a lot of pieces. A little bit of an unknown to the quarterback position at Spencer Petras. I'm a bit more uh, bearish on him, I guess I would say, than a lot of the national media is. Really? Uh, he's one of the another one of those guys that is kind of like a prove-me-right kind of deal. I think that Nebraska can, fin- can finish third in the Big Ten West. I do. I think that it's obviously a weaker side of the conference, but in order to do that, Nebraska is going to have to take care of its business and win games at home and go take advantage of the games it should win. I think that Minnesota is down. I think that Illinois will be down and Purdue will be down. There's an opportunity within the division for Nebraska to rise up the ranks. I mean... I'm, you know, as we've discussed earlier in this podcast, I'm the most, I have the least stake in Nebraska other than yes. I cover the team. Yeah. But it would be foolish for me to examine the division when I've been examining the division and not see a window. There is one, like it or not. I mean, and maybe that adds to the pressure surrounding this whole thing, but there is, and makes Saturday all the more important, but there is a window for Nebraska in the Big Ten West. It will come down to taking advantage of that, and it starts with winning games like it did Saturday. So I predict that Nebraska, numbers confuse me with rankings, but I think Nebraska will finish third. So whatever side that is, that's the side I will take. Yeah, and I think, you know, for Nebraska to achieve that goal, you have to beat probably two of the three between Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, and Iowa. All right, it's time. One key to the game against Illinois on Saturday and a score prediction. Yeah, um, slowing down the run. Martin hit on this in his Illinois players to watch. Chase Brown and I think it's Mike Epstein. Can't remember. Uh, but those dudes r- right. those dudes ran all over Nebraska last year. Yep. They conceded an unholy amount of rushing yards. I was looking through the box score, and I my face turned pale. Not really, but it was a ton. They got just dismantled <laughs> on the ground. Um, slowing that down will be key. Nebraska's defensive line and linebacking core. I know I harp on the defense, but I just got so energized after writing that piece that I've been, you know, I'm starting to get really passionate about that defense. Mm. They will need to have a big game. If Illinois can't run and forces their quarterback play to happen and makes Illinois throw the ball, I think Nebraska should handle things on Saturday. I would love for this game to be won by the hands of Brandon Peters, I think, uh, is Illinois' starter. 
Um, yep. I'd love him to make plays and beat us. And you lose guys like uh, when Illinois came in and just dismantled Nebraska and Memorial last year, Illinois loses their best receiver, Imatra Bebe. Probably butchered that last yeah. name. <laughs> uh, but he had a big game. So uh, making I would like to see if Illinois' newer receiving core can – I'd rather have them beat Nebraska than Nebraska getting the death by a thousand paper cuts on the ground. My key to the game has got to be taking care of the football. Literally, yeah. the first play of last year's game against Illinois was a turnover. Now, you talk about whether that was a real turnover or not. Who cares? Yeah. That's what it went down in in the scorebook. And that trend continued throughout the remainder of the game. You know, you talk about the defense. That game was their worst game of the year. But you can make the play. You can say, and I think fairly so, that it really wasn't their fault. They were put in multiple short field situations because of the turnovers by the offense uh, and the short fields surrendered by the offense. Um, you even think back to that fake punt. You can almost call the fake punt a turnover um, yeah. in terms of what it does for your mo- momentum. So you have to take care of the football. I think Nebraska does come out on top on Saturday. Uh, I think it's very close. Uh, I, I just, I'm still looking for that win for Nebraska that you never at any point at the end have to go, whew, thank God we won. Uh, I, I just, I'm still looking for that for the Cornhuskers. <laughs> Never been and, easy, has it? And it just hasn't been. Uh, and I don't think that changes here this weekend. But I do think Nebraska comes out on top, on the road. They start 1-0 and and win at 28-24. Your score prediction before we go. Yeah, just, you know, from a perspective here, Nebraska's a touchdown favorite over Illinois. So odds makers are expecting this one to lean towards the big red. I think that... They better not lose. I mean, yeah. that's that's the thing that I just right. keep thinking back to. Like, it, it just can't happen with the way that Frost has said that he's been preparing the team. And if they do come out and they are focused, I think that, and you know, I may I have the right to reserve this and go back when we put out our editor <laughs> score predictions Thursday for Friday, which you can again read on the DN's website. But I think Nebraska wins by 10. I think that Nebraska's offense has a productive but not stellar day. So I'm I'm sitting around 30 points for Nebraska, and I'll go even more. I think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring than what people predict, but I'm going to go 30-17 to 17 Nebraska. All right, so Landon has a bit of a wider margin than I do. Uh, 28-24 for me, 30-17 to 17 for Landon, Nebraska victorious in both predictions. That's going to do it for us on the first episode of Scarlet Fever sort of 2.0, but we're back. Uh, We'll be joining you uh, throughout the school year, uh, part of the DN's regular publishing, this time in the podcast sector. So go ahead and and, uh, look for Austin Nippelmeyer's work on Husker women's soccer. You can look uh, for Thomas Cotto, uh, who will be handling the DN's work on Friday for Husker volleyball, games against Tulsa at 11 o'clock and at 6 o'clock against Colgate. You can find me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Hanson15 underscore Hanson. I will be live tweeting and writing uh, for the game on Saturday against Kansas State at 4.30. Big weekend for Husker Ball Sports uh, really throughout uh, every day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So it's a big weekend ahead. A lot of DM publishing that you can find. Visit the Daily thedailynebraskan.com uh, and go to the sports section. And also check out the news because there's a lot of big stuff going on there. Uh, on campus this week. So that'll do it for us, and uh, we'll see you next week. For Landon Wirt, I'm Grant Hansen, and this is Scarlet Fever.